Well, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Overtime, which is our weekly podcast where we get to talk about the service that happened over the weekend, answer any questions that we have. This is our eighth episode. Nice. So we're yeah. at number eight. So I and guess this is our eighth set of microphones. Yeah. <laughs> We've gone through a lot. Actually, it's a, a little bit better lit in here. So I don't lit. mean that in a way that kids use that. Like, that party was lit. I mean, like, it was what, what does that mean? Anyway, whatever. Mm. Uh, so welcome. We're glad that you're here with us, those that are joining us online. Um, watching this live that thanks so much for being a part of it or if you're listening to us via podcast uh, thanks for joining us we're glad that you're here we're going to kind of jump into what we normally talk about um, in just a couple minutes but if you are watching live and you're curious how you can watch us through podcast if you search clcfamily.church on either iTunes or on just podcasts for your your Apple phone or on Android if you go to Spotify you just search clcfamily.church you should find us there we're Pretty much the only clcfamily.church that's there. So you can find us there. So we're going to jump kind of into it. Before we do that, though, I do want to bring your attention to our Christmas Eve services. So here at the Christian Life Center on December 24th, that would be the day before Christmas. uh, We are are doing three different services. Two of them at 5 o'clock and at 7 o'clock will be here at the Christian Life Center. And then we'll do a traditional service over at New London Presbyterian Church at 9 o'clock. That's our traditional one. The two here at 5 and at 7 um, are very family-friendly. We're going to make it fun for kids to be able to part of that. As today, we were talking in the staff meeting about what that looks like. It's going to be very family-friendly, about an hour long, so it's real quick. You can kind of come in, um, and an hour later, you'll be done, be able to head out, whatever your Christmas Eve plans are for that. So we would love to invite you to be a part of that, and we want to invite you to invite others to be a part of that as well. Christmas is kind of the time of year where people are, are looking for opportunities to come to different churches or they're looking for opportunities uh, to just kind of be a part of what's happening in that season. So I encourage you to invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your family, whoever else you want. So it'll be an awesome time. Yeah, so a couple of things there. One, uh, the whole Christmas Eve service will be shorter than this week's sermon. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and then that's a promise. Yeah, Maybe that a is a guarantee. promise. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. And you heard family friendly, and some of you have three year olds, and you just automatically uh, self uh, selected out of Christmas Eve. Well, don't <laughs> worry. You don't have to bring your three year old in there. So there is going to be child care. Kids are going to be available for everyone under the age of kindergarten. So school age kiddos will be in there with us, and they'll have a neat little packet they can work through, and it'll be worth their time and energy, and we'll read a, a nice little kid's storybook. be lots of fun. And, but if you've got little, little ones, you can drop them off with uh, with uh, folks in, in kid zone with child care. So. Yeah, so we'd love to see you there. If you have any questions, please feel free to email the church. Uh, that's info at clcfamily.church. We'd love to be able to get back, or you can give us a call. Whatever's easiest. What's the, do you know the church phone number? Yeah, it's 610-869-2140. Nice. Boom. Do you know really good. I do. 610-869-2140. I don't say 610. No, yeah, yeah, I didn't know it. Okay. So. <laughs> anyway, so uh, okay. we're going to kind of jump into the recap, um, but that's kind of all the announcements. We like to kind of highlight one or two things as we kind of jump yeah. into the podcast. So uh, this week, we're actually on week two of our Wonder Series that we started, uh, obviously, two weekends ago. Mm. Um, and this week, we were specifically looking at Luke chapter one. So do you want to kind of bring us up to speed about kind of a recap of what do we a, talked about? Do you have a choice? Um, well, you could. You could say no and just start talking. Okay. Which is sometimes what you do anyway. So, yeah, recap. Um, this is week two of Wonder. Um, it's kind of a big idea. If the creator of the universe, which we believe exists, created human beings to be in a relationship with him and to worship him, and that just got all off kilter. And then he came up with a rescue plan to resolve all that. Uh, then what kind of story would he write? Right. And if he's the the most brilliant person in the world, we, we talked a little bit about John Hughes as a writer, you know, Home Alone, Christmas Vacation, all the things. That yeah, and I had no idea that he actually did all the movies that you mentioned. Like, we were yeah. even talking about that yesterday. Just had no idea. And Love. by the way, he's uh, I think he originally is from Gross Point, Michigan, but he grew up in Chicago. His family okay. lived in Chicago. So all these movies uh, take place sense. in Chicago. Okay. So okay. that's his that's his hood. That's what he writes about. But anyway, so great writer, came up with some really great stories, but God, who is infinitely wise and the creator of all good, and uh, so therefore all good stories, like the one by which even, you know, infused, I would argue, John Hughes with the DNA to be able to think and write creatively. If that's the case, then what kind of story would he write that would actually be true? Like, if he was going to rescue us, how would he do it? And 
it's quite crazy that the way that he does it is by a little bitty baby in a little redneck town outside of Jerusalem yeah. um, in, in, in that kind of arena. And so um, kind of the series has been, man, if that's the case, shouldn't we pause and wonder why why this is how he does it? And the way that we know the story is because there's you know four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A couple of those are eyewitnesses. Um, um, most of them are, except for, you know, Luke's not. Luke is a guy who is an investigative journalist, and he's going to try to capture this great story in a way that we can know it. Before then, it was all kind of carried down by word of mouth, and so Luke decides to put this in writing. And so he's going to write about the greatest story that's ever written. You would think, how in the world does he start a story? And he right. starts it by saying he's writing these things for us to be certain of the truth, hmm. which is really helpful for us 2,000 years later going, this is a crazy story. We see it kind of in the same arena as Elf on the Shelf, Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red Nose, Reindeer, Reindeer, all those things. So we see it in all those kind of things. It goes, if that's not the case, if this is actually a true story, how can we be certain of that? Hmm. Well, luckily, one of the ancient manuscripts we got, which is the Bible 66 of those ancient manuscripts written by real people, inspired and empowered by God to do it. If if Luke writes this story about the greatest story ever, how would he start this to help us firm up that belief of certainty, right? right. And uh, ironically, he... Decides to start it both by putting a timestamp on telling us when here it is. You're gonna see he's gonna tell us about Caesar Augustus and in, in chapter two. Like he's gonna put some timestamps to know that it's in it's real in real history that we can kind of discover that. And uh, and then in Luke chapter one, starting I guess in verse uh, five, he introduces this this couple. Right. So he's gonna tell this whole story, and he decides to start the story about the greatest story ever told of a savior coming to rescue us. And he starts with two old people. Right. And uh, I really love this. So the, the big idea there was he doesn't start with a, a, a virgin, a 14-year-old, right, right who right. he impregnates. All sorts of complicated. Right. Uh, sorry, you, I don't think – I won't say anything. That's the most inappropriate thing I would say. So it's not – that wasn't that inappropriate. But if you're listening to this with your car and your kid's like, what does that mean? I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, and uh, God does really neat things. Uh, and maybe this is how he orchestrated you to have that conversation. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, just so anyway, he doesn't start with that story. Why? I mean, I don't know why, but my assumption is because I can't identify with Mary in that story. So he starts with an old couple who all their hope and all their security would have been in right. having a family, seeing the lineage of a family, the legacy of the family, and in their old age, and none of those dreams or wishes or desires ever came to fruition, Right. which is the story for all of us. Maybe it's not about not being able to have a child, but we all have these dreams that either we – wanted to see happen and they didn't come to fruition or they did happen and they didn't meet us in the way that we had hoped they would. And so we got to kind of go, okay, Luke, why in the world do you want to wonder why you would write the story starting with them? And there's just a lot to kind of notice in it. Yeah. But the, the big thing in it is that God always does what he says he's going to do and he's going to give good gifts. He gives them a son at old age. But we discover that that son's name is John the Baptist. And there's right. a lot we talk about in it. It's a little different than that. Usually I talk pretty linearly one big idea this one has a lot in it from yeah. punishment and discipline to yeah. angels to understanding about you know old testament sacrifices it got all that kind of stuff but at the end what we really really do see is that god gives uh elizabeth and zachariah a gift john the baptist his name means right. gift from yahweh and go but he can't be the greatest gift so what we see there is that that gift is what all gifts are from god are always to point to and prepare us for what is the greatest gift, mm. which happens to be this story of reconciliation and rescue and restoration and then eventually consummation that comes from God to us through Jesus. So all of their gifts, all of their gifts, including John the Baptist, including our marriages, including our kids, they're all kind of in the, the same category, which is we yeah. should see these things as not the penultimate thing, not the, the apex or climax of what we're looking for, but they should point to an even better life, right. even right. glory, a more glorious, a even more fulfilling, even more satisfying that can only be found in Jesus. So they give, uh, he gives Elizabeth and Zechariah this child, but they to show them that look, there's actually a better gift that this gift is going to point to, and go, that's the thing, yeah. that's the thing that's going to be the yeah. thing. Which actually helps us with Christmas because all the other gifts we've ever gotten, yeah. we all know they're not the thing. Right, right. And you know, like, what did you get ten years ago from your spouse? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just they're just not the thing. Right. And so. We, we continue to turn over these rocks, and it's sad they're not discovered that a thing. They just are a small little glimpse that point to the real thing, which happens to be Jesus is the gift, the Savior, and the right. Lord. So. Right. I thought it was interesting how you tied in kind of that idea that John's name is gift, and then you tied in towards the end how we are a gift to, to the world. Like basically what Christ has done, and we are able to be the hands and feet yeah. of Jesus. Not that we're so special that we're God's gift, like not, not like yeah. that, but that through what Christ has done, through our relationship with him, that we can now impact the world. I thought that that was a really good time. Yeah. And then as you started it, uh, like 
I feel like I've done a lot of study that I kind of know that Luke is kind of this investigative journalist, if you will. He's kind of looking and, and doing at it. But I never once stopped to think that he actually started not with Jesus. He started with, as you said, on yeah. Sunday or on Saturday with these two old people. An old person right? and one well beyond their years. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. So he starts this, yeah. this incredible story, not where you would expect, but somewhere that it's talking about ultimately John the Baptist and, and this story of how it comes to be. And yeah, and I'll just point out there, I want you to ask the question. Yeah. I think that's really, really important if you yep. ever jump into Bible study. Like, mm. if you're like, I don't know how to read the Bible, I just would say, ask God to teach you. But beyond that, ju- just beyond that, bring in just a level of curiosity. Yeah. Come in with question marks yeah. all the time. Like, just look at the scriptures and just wonder, really. Like, because when you read it in that in that that lens of just opened yeah. up and going, what did I understand? Why in the world would this be happened? Those questions just really do help shape this. Right, so right. I'm reading this and going. Why in the world would he start this? we got to figure that out right, right. because it's not like this is happenstance. Like this right. is a God of the universe who writes everything perfectly. That's why we keep talking about the Home Alone thing. It's like Kevin had these different things that he put in a category in a certain reason in a certain way that they need to be a, a certain right. sequence of events that, to have the outcome you wanted. And so if there is a brilliant writer inspired by the God of the universe, we got to go. This actually, this actually matters, and so right. we should There's look at purpose. it and figure yeah. out why it falls in that way. But anyway, yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, I think that I was, was going to jump into to kind of the questions, starting with – so you started to give a background a little bit of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a little bit more so for Zechariah because we see a little bit yeah. more in Scripture of, of his role. Yeah, they and just then, referred to her as old throughout yeah, it. Throughout yeah, so – Basically, you, you started off by saying that he was a priest. Can you kind of explain? So when we think of priests in modern-day you know, circles, we think of Catholic priests, or yeah. maybe we think of, depending on our background, we think of you know, a pastor or yeah. something like that. And so we think of the roles that they do. So did the priests go to hospitals? Did they, you know, did they do communion for people? Bless like, dogs. Yeah, 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 what did they do? Did they do the, you know, the motorcycle blessings? And so, yeah. so what would a, a priest's responsibility include? Because, And I have some very specific questions about that that I was just simply curious yeah. about that you mentioned over yeah. the weekend yeah yeah so there's a couple of things well, you know th- speaking of a uh, you know a catholic priest actually a good place to kind of uh, think about the the word for priest that catholics use in the latin is pontifex mm-hmm. p-o-n-t-i-e-f I, p-o-n-t-i-f-e-x i didn't even believe that's like the pre uh, i think that's the pope's um twitter handle or something like that, you know right <laughs> but that word in the latin literally means bridge builder hmm. so when we think about it in those terms, that's actually what a priest is. Mm. It's a it's a bridge builder. And so you go, okay, we talk about it all the time around here. If you want to build a footing or you want to build a bridge, you have to have footings on both sides of the right. ravine. So what are the footings? What is the priest doing? Well, if you imagine a bridge in any sense, there is a, a footing on one side where you are and a footing on one side where you want to be, right? And so when you think about that in the spiritual uh, realm, you got the, the, the here and the now, the natural, and then the supernatural, the, the place where God resides – that place, whether, uh, whether that we call it heaven, a control room, um, the Holy of Holies, whatever it is. And so yeah. these folks were going, this is where I am. That's where I'd want to be. By the way, that's why I love that they use the term in the New Testament shepherd, right? Because mm-hmm. what does a shepherd do? It leads sheep from where it is without sustenance, without food, without water, to where it needs to be to get sustenance, food, and water. That's what a shepherd does. It leads sheep from where they are to where, uh, where they want to be. So right. a, a priest's duty was to help guide and lead people from where they were to where God is or where God wanted to be. And so okay. what we understand in the scriptures over and over again is God's ultimate goal there. Yeah, sorry, I thought. God's ultimate goal was is for us to be with him forever, right? Yeah. So he comes in and brings that to us. But so we understand throughout the scriptures, the big issue that happens in the garden, the garden is that we separate ourselves from God. We are right. no longer with God. So when God installs priests, when these priests show up, really the goal is to help a bunch of people get from where they are back in a place where they can see, experience, and be close to God. So that was their ultimate goal. And so thousands of these priests throughout Israel, would their, their, their objective was to be, you know, bridge builders of people going, I don't know, I don't know how to know God. I can't know God. I don't understand God. And what we understand in the Old Testament, the way by which people responded to God in some ways, and the way that helped them understand how much they needed some kind of intercessor for them, right, was all these rules and laws. So you have 613 laws that show up in Levitical rules. And so the yeah. Le- Leviticus comes from the, the name Levi, which was the the, the, the priestly tribe, right? right. So right. The, these guys would spend their time and energy helping people uh, follow the rituals and laws and traditions and, you know, approaches to kind of 
prepare themselves, uh, as uh, Joshua says on behalf of God, consecrate themselves mm-hmm. for the Lord, for the Lord to do amazing things. Right. So that would happen both in their their hometowns, but then kind of the the the, the big part of priestly duties were to help you know, arrange an opportunity for people to have a real, like to be setting up an engagement, a yeah. you know, calendar event where these people could genuinely engage with God and where they understood that to be in the Old Testament before Jesus comes and goes, nope, I'm bringing my presence, I'm bringing my spirit to all places, was ultimately in, in the temple, right? right? And so right. that so the priestly part would be really being this bridge builder that helped people kind of walk through the process of being able to prepare themselves to be clean and right. made right in a way that they could interact with God. Right. And it's interesting because when you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, yeah. that tribe of Levi, uh, the Levite tribe or the Levites, didn't actually get any proportion of land. They were supposed to be in, in intermixed within yeah. The, yeah. the Israelites as a whole. So you had talked about specifically um, uh, the division. I, I want to look. Abijah, Abijah, Abijah. Yeah. Yeah. You said that there was between eighteen to 20,000 priests yeah. um, in 24 divisions. And I yeah. was just curious of going, okay, can you, can you give, uh, and I'm not sure if maybe that's all the information that there is to yeah. give, but if there was more info on that, like how did it work? They're, you know, kind of like they're full-time priests, but they travel for a month <sighs> out of the year or something like that. And then they go yeah, home so, and bridge. So let's just think about it in terms of a, of a calendar, right? Yeah. So, in the Hebrew calendar, it's really complicated. You know how we have a leap year right. one day? They kind of had a leap week. Okay. So their, their calendar, I want to understand, was more like 51 weeks. So okay. we're dealing with semantics that probably don't matter a whole bunch here. And then every fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, the seventh year, whatever, there'd be a you know, bump okay. there. Yeah. But for the most part, so they're, if you take a, you know, 51 divided by you know 24, you got two and a remainder of whatever it is, right? right? So what that meant is um, while there were – there are duties in in their community, you know, but the, the big part was they would also get to participate in, you know, the the, the local or the the big national, right. you know, uh, Judaism in Jerusalem. And so some of that was to build an affinity. Others is, I mean, it, it's basically a, a national belief system, you okay. know. So there's there's all these rituals and stuff. So what happened is each one of those twenty four divisions. Frankly, I can't tell you why there's twenty four. I can't okay. find it in the scriptures that I know of. The Google search really does help that. I mean, it's been around for mm, at least 3,000 or 2,500 years. So we right. got some of those things. But so basically there's these different divisions. Now maybe they were based on geographical location. And, okay. and so then they would just basically one week or two weeks, uh, one week at a time or two weeks. I'm not sure. Different places say different things. But they'd either come and travel and they do it for two weeks on and then they'd be off the rest of the year. Or maybe they'd do it one the other 23 tribes would go through, and then they do it again. I don't know okay. exactly how the okay. cycle works, but what we do know is they were basically traveling priests who would be ushered into the city to those things. So some of this is just training. you got high priests and others there. So this is the way by which you can make sure that people, uh, could, their sins could be atoned for, right. that there could be these things in, in the other places. Now, in a spiritual sense, that's, that's really neat and nice. But even in a geopolitical and a financial sense, it's going – this is this is church planning 101 you know it's mm. like well we have you know the you know our mega church video church kind of thing we have this place but if we could get priests in the other places then we can also have a much larger congregation with right, larger congregation right. comes more funds and more resources right, right. so this was also just a practical way by which they train people to do those things outside okay so you got a bunch of stuff going on there probably doesn't yeah. matter a whole bunch but what we what we can what we can assume uh, because it says that Zechariah is blameless and Right. Uh, so he, this wasn't like a scheme for him. Right. Right. And so whether he missed it all, got it all, I don't know. But this was, he literally had a duty to that he believed that served the Lord and served people well. He believed he was a bridge builder, and mm. and the way that God defined him as that was someone who who did that was blameless, it was godly, right, and right. did all of his commands. So this isn't like shame on him. That's a silly job. It doesn't really matter. This is really, really meaningful work. So were, were there corrupt people? Yeah, there always are in churches. But this was meaningful work where he was serving people all the time. Right. But then a couple of times a year, he'd get the opportunity to travel with, you divide it, if it's 18,000, what's that, 750? Uh, if there's 24 traps, I think that's probably right. Um, yeah, so you know, 20, 750 different priests in that mix. So that's a yeah. lot of traveling. And so there have been a lot of priests who would be coming in, getting the training, okay. doing the work, all that kind of stuff each week. Okay, so then I, I think the other question kind of comes up. So here he finds himself. So he's traveled. He kind of the big uh, – I was going to say the big ticket item. So he's at the temple mm-hmm. in um, – and he has this encounter, this experience with God. So he's casts or, or um, lots, lots are yeah. drawn. So, sorry, lots are drawn. He's actually going into 
the tabernacle. And one of the things, at least on Saturday night, didn't really talk about, like, so when I hear tabernacle, it would be normal for me to think that just kind of like the church. Church is the modern-day tabernacle. But the tabernacle had very specific rules and very specific things. Like, can you talk through that? So for him to go and he was basically lighting the incense, he's going into a place where he couldn't, where if I'm just a normal person showing up, I don't have access to that incense. Basically, I show up with my sacrifice, and then the priests do the work. Like, what does that look like? Yeah, so thinking about the temple, and we go church building, a little bit different. I'd almost say a church property. You know, like, yeah. so we got tabernacle. That was kind of the um, the transient, you know, one for the the Jews in the wilderness, right? Yeah. So they'd set it up each different place, God's presence, cloud, fire, that kind of stuff. But then finally they get to a place, David, then Solomon kind of establishes this, right. this temple where God, actually, after it all gets set up, he comes and he moves in there. Now, right. you go, that's right. strange. It's like, no, it's actually foreshadowing for God not needing a temple, but doing right. the same thing in our own lives, right. right? So this is just, that's not like, oh, that's a silly way for God to do it. No, it's just a small glimpse of what he wants to do in every person, right? Yeah. And eventually tells us our bodies are the temple. So, right. so right. He, he shows us that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. And so there was this different components of that. And so... Right. Um, if you'd imagine there was, if it was like a church property, there'd be a fence around the outside. And first you'd have to just be able to get in. And no, you wouldn't even have to be a Jew to get in. You could have access to that kind of stuff and you could hear the stuff. And so um, when you think about Jesus in the money changer scene, that's probably yeah. out there. And he gets really, really angry. But some of the reasons that we can assume he got angry wasn't just about money exchange. Then. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. It had to do also with the fact that um, when people showed up, they'd showed up, they'd show up with their uh, sheep and lambs, right, right. To, to make sacrifices, and they need to be innocent, you know, lambs. Right. So the way that they Perfect. defined innocence yeah. was that they didn't have any flaws, right? It was like it was a representation of that they haven't been hurt, they haven't been stuck, they've just had a good life so far right. to show that it's innocent blood that has to be shed, right? But what happened is all these priests, including these ones that would come in for the for the week, they'd be out there and they'd be receiving these things they'd be holding them up checking them out and going these sheep aren't good enough here right. we'll take these and sell you one of ours right, right so it was i mean it was a it was a scheme right yeah. so you got jesus showing up and he's pretty angry at that he's angry at the way that they're limiting worship he's angry at the fact that what eventually happens for a lot of these jews is they stop showing up with the sheep right. now these folks have been taking care of this lamb for a year right, like for these right. big events like yom kippur or whatever and so They've been taking care of it for a year in preparation, so their worship was every single week. Right. And they go, well, mine's not going to be good enough anyway. So they just stopped the worship throughout the right. week, and they just show up because they could just buy one. Now it was, a, you know, it was expensive. Now it was a lot it becomes more expensive. a task rather right. than it just becomes a, something that's yeah. part of my so, life and something yeah. that's a cadence that I'm in. Yeah. yeah, so you got those things. But even beyond all that, with all that going on in the outer courtyards, is it distracted for these Gentiles trying to go— mm. Is God in there? Yeah. Like, let me see God. You think about Zacchaeus trying to crawl. Like, they they're trying to find access to God, and all this, yeah. The all this, you know, circus is going on there. So there's a lot going on in terms of even evangelism. Of so, a lot of people were curious and suspicious about what was going on in the temple. But the temple, and this is one of the problems with the church world, and you could see it through modern history. You could see it, you know, with the Reformation. See it with the Dark Ages. Is that um, what happens? Is because once you get a building, someone has keys to the building, and the one with the keys to the building has the control, right? right? And so there's a very limited access to it. And some of that was defined by God. And as long as there's godly people in that, that it worked that they're going. They, God wanted people to understand that there was a level of reverence required right. to understand his perfection and his holiness. Again, the Ten Commandments, all the other right. laws were to help contrast how perfect God was from all of us. Right. So there was this, all these different you know, progressions throughout the, the temple for people to prepare to worship. And most of that had to happen through the bridge builders, mm. through the priests. Not everybody's able to do that. There's all sorts of things. And so they'd be the ones preparing. And there'd be a couple different altars within there. One is bigger. This would be like where you'd see some big stuff sacrificed. And then at the very, right on the edge of where God dwelled in the Holy of Holies would be this this altar of incense. Right. Now, what's interesting about the altar of incense, we, you go into one of those stores and there's like billions of different options or whatever there is a very specific fragrant fragrance i use i don't understand it all i just the way that i would describe it is imagine making that kind of sacrifice and burning that and then being able to breathe in that fragrance right mm-hmm. like to be able to see this you know this mm, 
spiritual realm, right? This thing that's not that's that's real, but also not something tangible that you can grab, right? And to be able to breathe that in and be able to receive God in that. And so there was kind okay. of a preparation of those things, and so kind of that at the highest level of responsibilities for the priest on a weekly basis. Maybe this is young report. There's some argument that it could be, but even on a okay. weekly basis, that there would have been a a, a small select few. So if there's 750 priests. Five get chosen to even prepare that thing. Okay, mm-hmm. only five get their hands around this, and they're setting up the incense, they're setting up the table, and then one of those five gets to, to deliver it into there, sit it there, yeah. and light it, and breathe that in. And that's where we find Zacchaeus, right? Or Zachariah. Zachariah. Yeah, Sorry. absolutely. So it's um, a crazy thought. I mean, this yeah. is this is this is a one. This is this is like winning the lottery, right? So I mean, this is a big deal. Right. So, yeah. And so what we haven't really talked about was was the fact that he and his wife weren't able to bear children. So that obviously, as you talk about on Sunday, was probably a very sore spot. That was something that was difficult because yeah. part of the part of your value was being able to bear children. Right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. for especially for a woman in, uh, yeah. in that time frame and in yeah. that culture, yeah. you, you know, if you couldn't bear children, yeah. I mean, that was kind of the purpose of a woman in that time. frame. Yeah. And so, so there's three things there. You got value. Uh, that that was a woman's purpose in that. Really, yeah. everything. Two, you got security and right. security protection. That that there was no 401ks, no retirement plans. Right. Older children. people, you need the children. And the third one was was even the connection to the lineage of the Messiah, who is one day to come. Right. So one day there's going to be this Messiah, and if our child's alive, then then we can vicariously be reconnected to the kingdom through that. Right. So part of this was making sure your offspring continued to, to move forward, you right. know? So there is something built into that. And so that they didn't have any, all three of those options are done. Now he's been serving God. He's not being punished by God. And so all these things are going on and he finds himself in this place and you go, is he happy to do this? Yeah. Like, is he, is he coming with a, like a, a real worshipful heart? I mean, is he suspicious? Yeah. I don't know. Like, is that, there are times when life gets hard that I go, God, I, I believe you're good, but sometimes I wonder if you're good for everybody else. Mm. And somehow you've forgotten me, right? So, mm. like, we don't know where his heart is. We don't know if he's elated to be there. Yeah. Or he probably, but if I'm guessing I'm going, he's also probably felt a little bit like a fraud. Mm. Like, he's got some disappointment. We know right. he has some disappointment because when he finally finds out he's going to have a kid, he right. shows his skepticism and cynicism. Right. So he's not like great grand God who can do everything. He's kind of going, this is what God does. This is what I do. And these are the things that are off limits. Right, right. So I don't know what's all going on with him, but he gets this great moment. He's the most important guy in the room. Yeah. And when he shows up and then another guy shows up, so this is pretty significant. So you get all that going on. And like, this is a real human being with lots of pain. Yeah. And so that's why I really like this of going, okay, even people showing up on Sunday, people listen to this podcast is here they are with the opportunity to stand in the presence of God. You know, when you get to God's presence, or you think God could be in there. Like, what's your posture hmm. there? Like, what's your posture? Is it like, okay, God, let's interact. Okay, God, let's do my chore. Okay, God, let's get past this. Okay, God, give me what you need. I'll give you what I need. Like, right. what is that? What's that connection like? And so that's where we find Zechariah in this room, yeah, burning some incense. And that's where Luke says, and on the right side, which I think is just so funny, that he's like, let me t- give you the, the intimate details, stands this big giant angel. Yeah. You know? So. so that's kind of the interaction yeah. says your prayers have been heard, like you're going to give birth. And that's his response is going, eh, you yep. sure? Because yep. my wife's really old. And so kind of that interaction and where I ultimately am trying to get to, and this is where probably the majority of the questions that have kind of come yeah, up yeah, yeah. this week land is this idea of, is God punishing um, Zachariah here for his lack of faith? Is he punishing him? Is it? Is it judgment? Is it like because what happens is that because he questions this, because mm-hmm. he's talking to the angel, and you also said that it was kind of uh, it was like the angel's choice, like or at least that's what I think I heard. Like my question was, did the angel get to choose? Like, okay, well I'm Gabriel, and because you didn't listen to me, uh, this is what's going to happen. Like. Was this planned, or was this like the angel going, ah, well, as a no, sign? No, I, uh, I think it's planned. I think where you see him say his name, this guy is like going, I'm not so sure. And he's <laughs> like, I am Gabriel. Like, like, do you understand this interaction? It's like, it's like me telling someone that I'm that um that my, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, yeah. like my oh, you know, my foot, it's paralyzed. I haven't been right. moving for six months. And we go, no, it's fine. And the doctor going, no, I'm a doctor. <laughs> it's messed up. It's like this guy talking to spiritual things about the yeah. guy who talks to God about spiritual things, and he's explaining to him that he doesn't believe in all that stuff. He's like, I'm not sure. And he's going, no, no, no. I'm Gabriel. Like, I am the one who knows these things. And so you go, well, did God decide then? No, he did not. 
this was planned since the beginning of time, just like the lot was planned in the beginning of time, just like Kevin knew they were gonna step on the micro machines. Yeah. This is where it gets this is where our heads could just explode. I'm going, right. this we have to pause and go, this is the God we're talking about. Right. The God who allows us to have our own soul freedom, but then maneuvers in you know, in supernatural ways throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I just I was looking, yeah. I was trying to see the verse. It's verse thirteen. I think it's amazing that yeah. you talked about this that whenever or the majority of times when angels show up in the Bible, like they they tell whoever they're showing up, yeah. do not be come afraid. Down, come down. Like it's it's like, hey, yeah. your natural reaction to seeing an angel is not like, oh, okay, that's cool. I see those twice a week. Those um, are cute. Yeah, come like, here. Hey. So so I think bellies. it's amazing. Yeah. Like I I almost can't even comprehend the fact that. Zachariah goes from like fear or I assume fear unless that's just a standard yeah. greeting of angels yeah. like fear not like yeah. but I imagine that he's going from fear to eh, I don't know like yeah. I can't even imagine that I feel like I, I, but then again I don't know if I could really comprehend unless I'm in that situation so yeah so I think what comes out there is a wound like yeah. you just see like yeah. this that's I mean this is true. a guy who has Come to terms with the fact that he's never going to have the thing that he has been longing for. Yeah. So, like, that's good. At some point, and we even talk about this in life, like, we even say there's no healing without grieving and you can't grieve alone. Yeah. So, some of this for Zachariah is probably going, okay, I don't know, was it 60? Was it 70? At some yeah. point, him and his wife had to look at each other and go, this isn't for us. Right. Don't know why. They would have had to have grieved it. And right. so, they would have had to move forward. Now, all of a sudden, they've moved forward from this. And so, he is just put up a wall and goes, that's not my life. Right, right. So what you see come out in this moment is a guy who's already dealt with this, came up with a conclusion, drew yeah. the line, and yeah. now this guy's going, you get to step over the line. He's going, there's no, what do you mean? Yeah. It was you know? already resolved so, in his yeah. mind. So yeah, this yeah, is what's interesting sense. is it's like, I don't, I think he gets, you know, there's some discipline in this because yeah. how dare you question God or an angel who shows up for you, right? But the other part of this is, this isn't God being mean to him. There's something really beautiful that's happening in this moment where all of a sudden he's allowing Zechariah to pause long enough, and we can talk about that for a while. It's yeah. just Zechariah has to come to this conclusion, which is a conclusion you and I have to go come to every day, is do you believe God's sovereign? Yeah. Do you believe he's going to do everything he says he's going to do? Hmm. Like, do you believe that? And the way that you respond, and that changes. Even in all your pain and sorrow, you go, do you believe God's a perfect steward? And if he's a perfect steward, then do you believe he's not going to waste this pain? Yeah. Do you believe that if he's allowing this, there's a reason that he's allowing it, and somehow is for your good, my good, and God's glory? And every single day I have to go back, okay, is God actually sovereign? Yeah. And I find myself often, 25% of the time, really wondering if that's really true. And then I just find myself going, okay, I think this is true. I'm pretty confident it's true, but I don't see that way in this, which is what's so brilliant about this story. Mm. No one saw this coming. Yeah. No one saw a baby. No one saw a baby coming to tell about another baby who was going <laughs> to save the day. This is just – this is brilliant and complicated right. and mesmerizing. But anyway, so. Yeah, so I'm just kind of looking at that. So basically uh, Zachariah can't, can't speak, and you even pointed out that uh, – I forget. I think it was later in, in the 20s where you Verse said – Verse 62. Verse 62, yep, yep. where he's signing. So possibly he can't hear either, or they were signing, they're signing to him. him. Yeah, like, you don't do that. Like, it'd be offensive at first. Going, oh, you can't speak? Let me write. And you go, oh, yeah. I can, you know, like, yeah. so, like, this would be a, a moment where I don't know why else they sign unless he can't hear. Yeah. And so. so in this, what looks like judgment is you made the argument that it's it's discipline. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where that's where the majority of questions for this week mm -hmm. kind of come. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple that Yeah, they, I tried to drag that out so I'm to talk about this long because it's complicated. Yeah, so there's there's a couple different ones. I'm not even sure which ones uh, to kind of go through first. I'll, I'll go with this one. It says, um, just in general, it says, could you go, and maybe this helps answer some of the other ones, could you go into more detail about punishment versus discipline. You said God never punishes, but he disciplines. Um, do I have that correct? Could you give me more examples? Yeah, so we use those words interchangeably because we're bad parents. Mm. We, You know, like it's just part of our brokenness is sometimes our um, response to our kids is reactionary. Yeah. So sometimes when we respond to our kids, it's because we just don't want them to ever do that again. We want them to shut up. We want them to learn their lesson. But it's not necessarily because we want them to grow. It's because it annoys us, right? And so sometimes we'll pop them or whatever it is, not because we're trying to help them grow. We'll no, pop them. Pop them. Is that, you know, I was about to say, on, on, yeah, so but pop them. Like spank them yeah, on the bottom, okay. whatever pop it is. Em. Pop them. You just going to make fun of that. Do you want to get back to God's word no, and yeah, the questions or do you just want, you just want to giggle Please. over I'll, here? Okay. I'll continue to do that. My name is Josh Roberts. I don't know. I tried to be like Gabriel. It didn't really work. Yeah. I knew what you were going for. It's yeah. just like, yeah, sorry. Nice to meet you, Josh. Yeah. So, um, man. 
All right, we're, we're talking about nah. the difference between discipline and punishment for our children. We just want to discipline. My words aren't needed. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, yes, sir. So you see that happen sometimes, and we so we use those interchangeably. Like, yeah. you even talk about it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm being punished. I'm grounded right, versus right. discipline. And so there's a big difference between those two, and it has to do with the motivation of what you hope happens for someone, mm. right? Yeah. So punishment just means you deserve whatever it is you get, right? And yeah. so some of that comes out of an anger or frustration, yeah. but that's not ever – really intended for the purpose of the person. You know, even kid parents growing up, this is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you. Is that true? You know, because I've never like it always seems to hurt my kids more when I discipline them than it does me. You know, it's like I mean I love them. Yeah. But there's something in that that I think you have to look at kind of okay, what's the motivation behind uh the action. Right. Uh and so got that piece. And so punishment is just you deserve whatever the consequences you get, right? Yeah. So what's interesting is God uses a word to talk about punishment, and the word that he uses is mercy, that God is merciful. And that means he doesn't require us to pay the consequences we deserve to pay. Right. So punishment is actually get, having to pay the consequences we deserve to pay. So mercy is not that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, grace is a little bit different. Where mercy is not having to pay the consequences you don't deserve to pay. Grace is actually getting something you don't deserve to get. So punishment's here. Mercy is going, nope, not going to make you pay it. Then grace is going to be, not only am I going to make you pay it, I'm going to give you something good in place. So when we look at all those things and how God responds, the way that he deals with punishment, mercy, and grace is all in one place on the cross. Yeah. He goes, nope, there's punishment that has to be paid. You actually deserve something. Wages of your sin is death. Right. That, that we know, right? But God goes, but I'm merciful. That's the word he uses. So you don't have to pay the prices for that because I'm right. going to pay them on your behalf. Right. That's God's mercy. And then God's grace is going. And not only am I going to pay the price for you, I'm now going to give you what you don't deserve, which is right. a life and life to the fullest with me. So all that is the exact opposite of punishment. When we look at when God talks about punishment in the scriptures, he declares that punishment consequences will happen. But then he tells us what's going to happen instead, mercy and grace. So the other thing we know is that Jesus actually does die a sinner's death. Right. He actually says as he's dying a sinner's death, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? And we see in other times that he who knew no sin became sin. Right. That's that's punishment. Right. So, so that we can become the righteousness of God. So he who knew no sin, that's God's perfection, became sin. That's right. mercy. So that we could you know, become the righteousness of God. So that's God's grace. So we see all that happen there. And then if in, in First John, uh, Jesus' body, he tells us if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just right. and for forgiveness from all unrighteousness. So when we even think about that term, when we think about when I, some, one of the ways I usually think it is so, it's such bad theology where I go, when I mess up, particularly in something I messed up with before, you know, those same things. And I go, God, will you forgive me? I've always heard that verse and thought that's Jesus going, Hey dad, there's Josh being a buffoon again. I guess they're going to forgive him again. But that's not what's happening in that, that verse. If he, we confess our sins, God is faithful, meaning he's always going to do it. Yeah. And the word that we got to look at there is just. Yeah. So this isn't an emotional decision. This isn't an affectionate decision. What Jesus is saying when we confess to him, he's saying to his dad, you can't punish him because I was already punished for that. Right. He can't pay for that because I already paid for it. But do you understand what it, what's required first? Yeah. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will right, forgive right. us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So kind of the, the proclamation this Sunday was, if you are a believer, if you've looked at God and said, I receive your gift of love, affection, of sacrifice, of grace, and mercy, then at that point, from that point forward, you will never be punished by God. Yeah. Because Jesus is telling his dad, hey, I've already been punished for that. So if he's already been punished for that, him punishing us for something he's already punished his son for would be unjust. God's not unjust. He's not going to go. I'm, there is no reason to beat up your own son, to yeah. put him on a on a you know a sinner's cross, right. if he's also going to make us go through the same thing. Right. So right. that makes it unjust. So there's no way, there's no way in the scriptures that we should be punished for what he's punished Jesus for. Yeah. So if we received God's forgiveness then that means Jesus paid the price. Right. So there's a couple pieces there. One, you don't have to be you know, suspicious of God of whether or not he's punishing you. And two, you got to stop punishing yourself because when you beat yourself up, what you're literally saying to God over that thing is that I don't really think what Jesus did was enough. Hmm. So that's where the whole punishment thing. So when we look at Zechariah and go, he's a godly man. He believes in God. He wants to do these things. Now, does he have some wounds in his life? Absolutely. But God is not going to punish him. So why in the world would God do that then? And that leads to the discipline piece. The same reason yeah. we would discipline our kids, not, and we're not good parents all the time. And I think that that's yeah. kind of the idea of, yeah. like, I think that we're okay. Like, okay, we're good that God doesn't punish. But uh, dare I say that we're a little bit nervous. Like, well, what does that mean for God to discipline? Yeah. Like, because we do use yeah. those words interchangeably, like, okay, yeah. well, God's going to discipline me. Ooh, I don't like the sound of that. Like, yeah. no, no child has ever been like, please, mom and dad, You're so welcome, me. yeah. 
Yeah. Like I, I need to be disciplined yeah. so I can grow into a healthy child, you know, adult. But so it's interesting at the end of the scriptures uh, there um, that we're reading, not the end of all the scriptures. And I talked about this real briefly in the third service because I went too long. Um, but it talked about on the eighth day he was circumcised, mm-hmm. and like we don't really even think about that piece. I mean. We actually pause and think about circumcision. Sorry again, guys. I told you. <laughs> well, that you said that again. this yeah. would be. Sorry. But we think about now circumcision. they got to explain circumcision. Like if we pause, it's crazy. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Like and I understand it's a sign. So why don't you understand this? After all this stuff comes down, he's already responded to God. He's worshiped God. He sings a song to God and you know, all this stuff. And then he, they're going to take him. And, I mean, they literally are going to take his genitalia and a hatchet. And they're like, oh, it doesn't hurt babies. They don't have any feeling. No, they scream every time. Like, I remember this at Briggs. So, sorry, Briggs. So I remember this. Like, I remember the, the pain of all this stuff. Like, it, it's painful. And yeah. do you understand? Like, moms and dads choose, choose right. to put their kid into that pain. They go, I think I'm going to hurt my kid today. Make them bleed in a really awkward way. And that they're never going to want to talk about. Right? And so you go, well, why do you do that? Well, that's interesting. At first, this is going, there's something in this. That here we are thousands of years later, and this is still something we do. Mm-hmm. So there's something in that. Now, in the Old Testament, this was a sign of the covenant going, no, no, we believe that God is going to be our God. And so this was a way to, to point that out and all sorts of complications. So that's it. But and even beyond that, there's the, the, a lot of the reasons that people make that decision now is as, as a result of some hygiene stuff. Right. You know, there's stuff that you can do that's just better in that case. And so all that to say, parents – like genuinely still make that decision thousands of them today. Right. You're going, does that make them bad parents? Are they punishing their kids? No, absolutely not. They are understanding that a little bit of pain in this moment is going to be beneficial in their world Same uh, later on. Same reason that we right. give our kids shots, right? Every time they get a shot, they have the big alligator eyes, and especially when they're little, and they go, do you hate me? Right. No, I don't hate you, but I'm going to give you a, I'm inject a little bit of pain now because this is actually better for you later. Yeah. So we understand that in terms of what discipline should be. No, no, you're going to have to feel a little bit of this because uh, the people only change when the pain of the same gets greater than the pain of the change. Right. right. And so we're going to allow you to sit in your pain sometimes. We're going to help kind of you know facilitate that so that you can get some awareness about what's going on in your life. You can get some self-awareness, get some awareness about our world. And so what you see with discipline, there's only there's a, a very specific reason throughout the scriptures, and it's so that we can have a better understanding of who God is and therefore a better understanding of who we are. So discipline, the approach is going, there is something wrong in our life that will lead us astray, and it will get worse the further we go down. By the way, that's what hell is. Hell is is untethered you know, life that never, never walked in discipline. Hmm. So you walked on that path long enough. In fact, you talk about a kid now, you'll see them in their old age. You'll go, man, where were your parents? Why didn't they teach right, you better than this? Right, like right. You think about those things. It was an undisciplined life that just, you know, imagine right. that for a trajectory of through all eternity. That's right. what happens there. And so what you see happen here is God in his grace reaches in and goes, we're going to have to redirect this. And right. you're going to have to have a bigger, we're going to have to expand your mind of who I am and what I'm capable of. Right. And so, yeah, would God discipline for that? I certainly think so. I discipline my kid for some of those things. Like, I, I need him to trust us. I need him to make some decisions. I need our girls to do that. And so discipline isn't about making sure they feel the pain for their decisions, mm. right? Dis- uh, discipline's about helping them come to some conclusions right. about their past behavior. Yeah, it seems yeah. as you're talking, maybe this yeah. is just, maybe this is too minimal. Yeah. But it almost sounds like punishment has more to do with anger. And discipline really has more to do with love and correction, like guidance, yeah. maybe. So punishment is anger, and discipline is more love and guidance. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So like, an example would be, I, you know, I played basketball all through high school and college, passionate about the sport, and I had a, a coach who would really ride me hard, hmm. like yell at me, pull me aside, you know, tap me in the chest, and call me to more all the time. And I used to get so frustrated. Because there were other kids on the team he didn't do that at all for. Hmm. But they also didn't play any. <laughs> you know, like, so there's just a level of yeah. potential and expectation that he had of me that he just kind of gave up on with other people. Yeah. Right? And so when you see this with Zachariah, when you see this, like, it'd be really beautiful in our church and in our world and in our hearts if we go, we actually appreciate God's discipline because he sees, yeah. he sees potential and wants me to live the life in the fullness that he had, has for me. And so that's why I gave kind of the analogy of the, do you want a knife in your, like, do you want oh, you to yeah. be stabbed in the, the heart? Well, it depends. If you're angry at me and want me to die, no. <laughs> but if it's because you're, you know, you're a skilled surgeon and you understand that this heart is going to kill me right. and you have a solution for a new heart, right, right. then the very best thing you could do would be to sedate me, strap me to a gurney, cut me open, and 
put me in there, even if that means months of recovery, because yeah. it's still better than the alternative. Right. Right. And so we have to start seeing this for Zechariah. It's going, man, it's not good for that bitterness and that disappointment and that anger to, to be in the middle of his life from this point forward. And so would God require him to take a time out? Which is exactly what that is. And that's why I love the fact that this is the way that he does it, is yeah. he literally takes away his ability to speak or to hear. So he removes yeah. all the obstacles, and he just has to sit alone. And there's only one voice he's hearing the, the, these days, and yeah. it's his own. So he's getting to process his own feelings, his own thoughts, and his own stuff, and really coming to some conclusions. Yeah. You know, what I did say in the, you know, the, I spent some time, sorry if you're on the Saturday Night Service, talk about space station, you know, gum. <laughs> oh, my goodness, what was I talking about? But what I really camped out on, on Sunday, which I think is really, really important, is that, so why would God do that? Right. What, what's that experience like for Zechariah when that happens? And I think there's actually two pieces of that. The, the first one is, I imagine it was really painful for Zechariah in the beginning. Was that yeah. awesome. he just had to sit still. I've been disciplined a lot in my life. I mean, even recently, just had to sit still on some things. And what, what I realized when I sit still every single time is that my wounds are deeper than I first realized. Mm. Like my pain that's greater than when I first realized. You stay so busy, you, you, know, you have all these different things going in your life. But what you realize is that the wounds are actually really deep. Yeah. So, but they're real. So either we can pretend like they don't exist and we can, you know, react and have all the stuff and have our perspective of God with so many different things or we can actually pause and go, no, these wounds are really real. But none of us want to do that. So that's gracious of God to help us pause to think about those things because when we sit long enough, we actually understand the pain that we're actually in, whatever that is, our marriages, our families, our, you know, our barrenness, whatever it is, like there is real genuine pain and we live in a world that says don't cry suck it up keep going right like instead of just pausing and actually really really coming to some conclusions that we're actually in a lot of pain yeah and then what the reason we don't like that is because we're not really sure what to do with that pain yeah because we can't solve it right so at that point it's just like why why don't i just pretend like it doesn't exist or yeah or perhaps in the middle of all that pain we go to the one who can solve it yeah go this is too great my heart is too broken it is beyond repair and it's in those moments that we can go okay maybe god you can maybe you will maybe this whole world is about you not just invading the earth but invading my temple, invading my life. But we don't get there until we actually come to the real deep conclusion that we actually are in more pain and more wounded, and we we are in a worse spot in our soul than we actually ever wanted to admit. Yeah, and so cool. I think that's what we see with Zechariah, as a guy that yeah. kind of does it. And the reason I think that's the case is nine months later, nine months and eight days, whatever that is, preconception all the way to that moment, the first words out of his mouth of he's yeah. praising God. Like right. something happened in that therapy right. session right. for those nine months where – he got some real discovery that he was loved. I mean, yeah. obviously, he saw some supernatural stuff take place, all that kind of stuff. But in those moments, something happened with right. God and that secret of the secret place that doesn't happen with all the chaos around yeah. him, which is why this Christmas is really important. I mean, don't get caught up in the current. Go, don't think about the wounds. No, no. You probably got to think about that wound that your kids aren't coming home this year. Yeah. Got to think about this isn't the marriage you hope for, that, that, that you're unemployed. And you got to come to some conclusions about the pain that that causes and probably come to the conclusion that you can't fix it. Yeah. And then you have to choose A or B. Either yeah. it is unfixable, there is no hope, or there is someone greater than us who can fix it. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's the picture that Zechariah gets to walk in. Yeah. As as you were talking about discipline, there was a scripture verse that I memorized. Uh, I don't know. I guess in my early twenties. Um, it's Proverbs three eleven and twelve. Um, I said memorized, but I noticed I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. So I did memorize it. Not have it memorized it says my son do not despise the lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights yeah. in and did so your parents I, used to read that to you no they didn't oh. they they <laughs> did always tell me though this is going to hurt me more than it would yeah. hurt you and then one of the times i was like well then let me punish you and that yeah. didn't go over so yeah. well yeah. so don't do that um but See, no. what i do with i do because i'm so godly when when <laughs> we're about to spank one of the kids i'm like here julie spank me instead and i oh, just is that what you i do? get hit really hard and i just cry and the kids just look at me i'm like see what you did to your dad there's there's so much more that i could say right now that i'm just gonna let it go um so anyway i do want to ask this question yeah. but that was a scripture yeah. verse that yeah. for me i find comfort in i don't understand it and i i can't say that i always find comfort in discipline yeah in the discipline that god gives but the fact that it's because he loves me like that coach that you were talking about he pushed you because he saw that there was more that you could give so he was coaching you in that yeah so one of the things it says in lamentations it says anything that can withstand the fire 
So so beautiful. Yeah. Anything that can withstand the fire must be put through the fire to be purified. Right, right. So there's something in that going, okay, if it can withstand, sorry, if it can withstand the fire, the only way for purification is for it yeah. to go through the fire. Not everything can withstand the fire. Yeah. So if you're going, I feel like I'm going through some fire. Well, it's because you can withstand the fire. Right. And so there is a better piece of this on the other side. Like I'm sharing with staff right now that I'm in a kind of a situation in life and occupationally where I've never been before. And yeah. um, when when I've gotten there in the past or pushed up against it, it's been like, ah, it makes me want to flee. It makes me want to find an easier job. It makes me want to do something without stress. And for the most part, that's just been the desire. And so it's like, I don't know what it actually look, looks like to just lean in and go, God, do what you want to do. Put mm. me through the fire. If that if there's a product on the other side of it, that, right, right. that it's more worthy of your calling and more right. worthy of living a life fully alive. And so I wonder for how many of us, for many of us, if the reason we've never really lived the abundant life is we keep shrinking back in the middle of right. of what's going on in our world and just right. pulling back. Because God is wanting to yeah. teach us that. But so we, we, no, we got to learn yeah. this instead of just fleeing and retreating. And the reason that we get we run is because we think God's mad at us. Right. We think he's angry and we're suspicious that he's actually going to do real harm to us. Mm. But he's not. He's not yeah. wanting to hurt us at all. Like He does not want you to die. He does not want you to feel pain and sorrow the rest of your life. He does not want you to feel the consequences of your sin. And so we're suspicious of that, you know? And so instead, he actually goes, no, no, I want to walk you through this because I'm a good shepherd. And to get you to where you need to be, there might be some valleys and some right. thorns and some things. But as a perfect shepherd, he is leading us to a place of of, of, of gentle water. And, you know, it says in Psalm 23, he leads us by that uh, gentle waters, whatever those things are. And it says, for his name's sake. Right. So the really interesting thing about this is, not only is he doing it for us, he's actually underwriting it with his own image. Right, right. He's going, not only can you trust that I'm going to discipline you, but it's going to be worth your time. I'm actually stamping myself on you and going, no, no, I'm going to take the credit for this. Yeah. On the back end of this, like Zachariah is going to give me credit for it. So I'm going to take the credit for it. I'm going to tell you I'm going to take the credit for it. That means I'm more trustworthy because my name's the name that's actually on this, yeah. not yours. And so this isn't about him wanting you to have more harm or pain. It's right, right. about him wanting you to be all that he's made each of us to be. Right. So, uh, I want to yeah. get to this. Yeah. this I I think it's oh, yeah. the last question. I'll double check yeah. my notes. But uh, uh, the last question uh, in regards to, you know, God's punishment versus discipline. Um, it's along those lines, but also changes it a little bit. It says, um, uh, as you spoke of God not punishing us now, but disciplining us, do you think that Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira yeah. uh, weren't actually believers? This is referencing in Acts when the they sell the house, basically. One of them shows up, and they say, hey, here's all the money. They fall down dead because it was a lie. It wasn't all the money. Yeah. Then they b take that one out. They bury him. And then the next one comes in and says, yes, this is all the money, and that one dies. And then they bury them as well. So is that why God struck them dead when they lied to the apostles? Mm, thanks. This is fun. <laughs> I only got like five minutes. so I'll Yeah. A couple things. Uh, first thought is I'm not sure God strikes them dead. Uh, thinking back at that scripture, it says they fall dead. Yeah. Uh, so – I, I think God doesn't mind taking credit for stuff that he does. And so it does, I don't know what that's like. I don't know if that's the ramification of a massive heart attack. I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe but God does in it. in that exact moment, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't, so I don't, I know. don't know. So you got that no. piece. So does God do it? Okay, let's assume that either God does or he allows it. Yeah. That, that, that piece is there because he could have stopped it. Right. So aneurysm, heart attack, cardiac arrest, something happens, and it happens to both of them. So this is, this is not coincidental. It's a pattern. Right. So we got those things. So – if we take it at face value that these guys made some decisions, as a result, there were some consequences. So you go, well, that doesn't sound like discipline, because yeah. discipline is you don't let them come to church, you you yeah. know, you you don't let them walk. I mean, whatever it is, and you don't take their life. So you you do have to make some decisions about that. And so one of the things that I think is really really important here, and you know, I, I think really important, is that when we talk about if you confess your sins to God. He's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So that is a, an if-then. That's a clause. Right, right. If you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all sins and all unrighteousness. Right? Like, so it cleanses us of all of our sins. So there's something in this that means there has to be a, a reception of God's gift. So right. when we talk about what salvation is, it's nothing you can earn. It's nothing you can do. But it is something you have to receive. So, uh, so we got that piece. So we go – Okay, is this punishment because they weren't actually Christians? Well, that still seems really, really harsh. Like, and so this yeah. is the best place I can go. And I, mean, I talk about it a decent amount when I think about the story of Noah, when I think of Sodom and Gomorrah. I think of all these different stories. I mean, you see it a little different in Cain and Abel yeah. because God doesn't actually strike Cain dead. He could have. Right. He doesn't. Right. But instead, he sees the future and sees some hope in Cain's future and gives him that. And so 
Cain pretty bad would have been a good object lesson in that moment. So God isn't just about trying to teach a lesson in that. So whenever I see these things happen, Noah, Philistines, these different things, here's what what I just point out. I'd point out uh, one of the things I bring up a good bit is a real good friend of mine uh, in high school coming back from a tennis game. We were on the on the, the bus. We just finished our tennis game, and I think he had a cell phone. So I don't wealthy kid, I think, and because he had horses, yeah, of course he was. And so, and he gets a call and finds no, no, no. I'm sorry, we had just pulled up this before cell phones. We got off the bus, and his dad was meeting him at the school. He didn't know he was there. And he's like, "What's my dad doing here?" He drove home, and um, in that moment, his dad told him that his his uh, horse had broke through the wood floorboard of the trailer when it was driving and it broke his leg and he started shedding tears and i was so confused i was like it's just a leg bro like it's gonna be okay they can fix it i didn't understand like the weight of what that meant for like the amount of pain and the amount of sorrow and the amount of suffering that was going to be for that that horse the rest of its life Hmm. so i actually went home with him i rode back to his house um and uh we pulled up at his house and him and his dad i didn't go with him went out back to the barn with a shotgun he shot his own horse he shot him. He, he killed his horse in that thing. Wow. And it was uh, a horse since he was a child. Like, wow. loves that horse. And you go, that just seems so brutal. And it is. It's brutal. And boy, was it so painful. And you go, why does he do it then? Because he could play the tape forward. Mm-hmm. And there was no hope for that horse. He knew it was going to be in pain. The best thing that could happen for that horse, and we don't judge that. We understand that. We understand that when dogs are put to sleep, all the, right. the very best thing that could happen in love and mercy and compassion is to put something out of its misery if it cannot have any more hope. Right. So that's where I finally come to the conclusion that, okay, Noah's the story of the, the ark and all these people drowning. It's like, man, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. And I've had to put a dog down. I've had to sit there with it. And it's devastating. And I wasn't even that close, right? So for God to have to take people out of their misery and mm-hmm. the damage they're doing to each other in that, mm-hmm. right? And so that seems to make some sense to me there. So it gets a little more complicated going, okay, does God punish them? Well, if he's punishing them, then my buddy punished his horse. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, if that's what we're working through, because God could play the tape through and go, yep, there is no hope here. And then you go, well, doesn't doesn't that just mean he just expedited their, yeah. you know, their eternity into hell, right? We're weeping and gnashing of teeth, and I'm going, maybe, maybe, but there's a lot more going on with Noah. You got little kids. You see, David talked about how he's confident that he'll see his infant son again, yeah. right? And so there's a protective piece here. So you got one piece of going. We got to put people out of their misery. There is no hope for them, and there's a protection of people that can still be damaged. Yeah. So God, in the middle of this early church, of going. This is the solution for the movement of the whole world, yeah. right? This is the solution for the whole world. They're going to have everything in common. We are going to revolutionize everything. This is going to fix marriages. This is going to fix families. This is going to fix health care. This is going to fix orphans and widows. This is going to be it. This is this is the plan. So anything that would get in the way of that plan, mm. particularly if there is no hope for it, if there is no redemption, then it makes sense that he just put up a solid wall and go, this is it there, yeah. right? So that it's not punishment. It's natural consequences for the, 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 the result of what it is. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. Right. So it's just a natural thing. He's not like trying to pull their teeth out. He's not trying to, you know, he's not doing those things. So yeah. it is, I, I, don't, I don't say that lightly. It's a devastating passage, and it's got to be devastating for the God of the universe. But it also is sobering to think that's the world that we are. Like God is going, if you're in my kingdom, if you're in my kingdom, I will fight for you, and I will make you all that you want to yeah. be, all that I want you to be. I will yeah. do those things, and there's no, like there's nothing you can do to separate me. Or you're an enemy. Right. And so we have to come to some conclusions. There is really no middle ground. And here's the one thing I'll say to all of you if you're listening to this, hearing this, because that's some harsh, harsh statements, right? Those statements don't apply to you today. They just don't. Ananias and Sapphira statements don't apply to you because if God was done with you, if there is no hope, you're damaging the world, there is nothing you can do, guess what? If this is the case, what happens with Noah and the flood, what happens with Sodom and Gomorrah, what happens with Ananias and Sapphira, like what happens there is he just – He's going, there's no hope. There's no hope. So if you got a pulse, you're breathing air, you know, you're hearing this. The beautiful part of that really wretched story <laughs> is God's not interested in punishing you because he still believes that you can receive the gift right. and walk in the gift and find the joy that comes with discipline and then getting on the other side of the hill and enjoying all that God has for you like he did for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Right. So I think that's the, the beauty. And here's the thing. is Most of us as pastors and Christians, we just don't want to, we just don't want to touch that scripture. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's so uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. But – there's right. still hope and beauty right. in that. And what we know about all these stories, regardless of that kind of stuff, I have friends who have lost loved ones to overdoses. I've had a lot of stuff. What we know is they look at that story and go, 
that story cannot be wasted. Hmm. My child's death cannot be wasted. They get involved in opiate problems. Right, they get right. involved in stuff because they understand that they don't want to waste this story. And I right. just would offer the same thing. Like, Ananias and Sapphira, did, they didn't die because they didn't want to give their stuff up. They died because they believed that their image was found in that, and they were more interested in, their, in being their own Savior than they were to look into a Savior to save them. Yeah. Right? And so what it looked like for us to go, let's learn from that lesson, right. and right. let's actually see God as the, the God of all things that's greater than anything we can imagine, and the one who protects us, disciplines us, and has a hope and a future for us yeah. with him for all eternity. And let's learn from the lesson as opposed to going, yep, that's the reason I don't want to follow God. Right, you know? so. right. I think it's it's difficult, that scripture in particular, because what happens is that I recognize that I have my own personal feelings. Like, well, I don't want that to be the way that God would respond. I want him to do this. But then, obviously, that's as bad as it sounds just now. I'm I'm trying to interject what I think God should do by my own judgment. Well, so. and I've, I've lied yeah. to people about my salvation and about the stuff I've done. Mm. You know? So, like— yeah. Who am I yeah. that it's not Ananias and Sapphire? And right. maybe God can, has peered into my future, did a long time ago, and still peers into it and sees right. some beauty out of the ashes of my life. And right. so I wouldn't say, wow, we're great, Ananias and Sapphire are bad. It's going, there's something about this that God still sees real potential in us, so let's allow him to operate in that way. Yeah. And I use the word operate literally in yeah. whatever part of our life that needs to be cut out, removed, fixed, all that kind of stuff. So. Well, we're at about an hour. Was there any final thoughts that you had or anything that you didn't get to, you know, share over the weekend? Yeah, so uh, I always have extra thoughts. Um, I'm always the the king of the long answer. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you know, there's this really cute word in the scriptures. Not cute, but it's sanctification or this theological term. I actually don't know if it shows up in the scriptures. You can look that up. Um, this idea that we're becoming more like Christ. Right. And so what I talk about a good bit is the it moves from have to to get to to want to. Right. right? This idea that you feel like the, you have to obey the rules. That's not the gospel. You get to be in connection to God. You get to follow his plan. And then eventually you'll want to. When you get there, it's really beauty, beautiful. Yeah. And you know that you're growing in Christ. So that's a, a really, really neat one. Another one is when uh, what feels right actually becomes right. right. So we, we make the right decisions because it's the right thing to do. But eventually the things that are right, honoring our marriage, trusting God with our money, they actually eventually feel right. Those are some pretty good checkpoints. Another checkpoint that I just would offer is as you grow in your faith, the more comfortable you'll get and appreciative you'll get of the Lord's discipline. Mm, yeah. So going, okay, this is for my good and his glory. Yeah. And so if you've got some stuff in your life, they feel like that's happening. It's happening for me right now. Is mm. going, okay, can I actually appreciate this as a result of seeing what God has for me on the other side of it? Right. Not actually understanding what it is, but knowing he has something good there. So there's a, that's another good checkpoint to kind of look in your life. Yeah. Can, can you be comfortable with the Lord's discipline because you trust that he's good and he's gracious? Yeah. So that is probably something worth looking at. Well, thank you for those of you that stood uh, with us for the last hour. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. Um, just going to remind you that if you have any questions that you want to ask, please email us at overtime at clcfamily.church. Or if you're here over the weekend, you can just write it on the back of the bulletin and submit it through um, the baskets on your way out. But, yeah, that kind of wraps us up. Check us out on our podcast. If you haven't done so already, it's just search clcfamily.church and you should find us. So have a great week and we'll see you next week. Okay, see ya.